Hey everyone, husband here. And I'm wife. If you've been listening to us, then you know we're all about reading the Bible and reacting to it on our first read-through. Cuss words, crying, laughing, and more. We're passionate about creating a podcast that takes the sanctity out of the sacred text and simply stating it as we see it. But we can't do it without your help. We're asking for your support to help us keep this podcast going. There are two ways you can donate. Text SACDIS, that's S-A-C-D-I-S, to 53. 555 if you're in the U.S. with a one-time donation. Any amount helps. Or if you'd rather start a sustaining membership, sign up on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash sacrilegious discourse. Membership levels start as low as $2 a month. We are amazed and grateful for our fans that support us now, and you can become one too. With your support, we can keep sacrilegious discourse alive and well for years to come. So please donate today. Text SACDIS to 53555 if you're in the U.S. Or sign up for our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash sacrilegious discourse. Welcome to Sacrilegious Discourse. I'm husband. And I'm wife. Together we're reading the Bible for the very first time. We grew up without religion and wanted to know what all the fuss was about. Well, what have we learned so far? That God is a dick? And apparently some people believe in talking donkeys? We're not trying to pass ourselves off as experts. Nope, we're just reading the Bible for the first time and giving our first take reaction. If you'd like to join us in this venture, you might consider starting at episode one. Otherwise, jump in wherever you like. All right, let's go read the Bible. Yeah, let's get to it. Husband! Wife! What are we doing today? Well, today is Saturday, which means that we're doing... Q&A Saturday. It's almost the end of the day, but we're still doing it anyway on Saturday. Boy, you fucked me up. That's right. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So what are we queuing and aing today? I didn't have any specific questions that I could recall, and you didn't have any either that I could recall. So I'm just kind of going back over some stuff in the previous week call it like a mishmash a hodgepodge a potpourri if you will Mm, of various items that i found within chapters 11 through 15 of jeremiah some miscellaneous debris huh yeah debris i like that yeah 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 yeah. all right um so are you ready to go ahead and uh answer some cues and and have some a's sure all right let's do this okie dokie Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, so we are covering chapters 11 through 15 of Jeremiah. Okay. And the first little tidbit that I come to is let us not forget that chapter 11 includes the first of the passages known as the Confessions of Jeremiah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're the things where he's like uh, telling on himself and telling on the people. And right, right. Being and being a general pissy little I, I don't, I don't know how, so like, Jer- just to, just to, I know we're going to get into some other stuff, but like, Jeremiah, right? He's out there preaching all this, like, God's going to come get you, he's going to kill you, but then he's like, God, can you not? Like, I don't know what to think of him. Because he's, he's also like, but get them. Right, yeah. Kill then, yeah. them, but not me. Speci- but specifically, he's got like, vengeance them? against specific people. He's like, yeah. can you go kill those fuckers, please? Right. As, while you're at it, killing everybody, can you kill those? Yeah. But also, can you not kill any of us? Because, like, you're kind, of, you're kind of being mean, dude. Right. But also, hey, everybody, he's going to come kill us. Right. Uh, like, wow. He's, you're, you got some mixed messaging going on here, man. He's very much a waffler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I don't know if you recall, but verses 2, 3, and 4 of chapter 11 go as such. Okay. okay? Here are the words of this covenant. Which covenant? Right. And speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and say to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant. Yeah, it was very confusing when you were, when we went over that back then. Which I commanded your fathers in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit. What do you mean by this covenant. Okay. What's happening there? It had to be one of the... I mean, if he's talking about the days that he brought them out of mm-hmm. Egypt, it probably was one of the covenant, like, from yes. the early on. Yes. You know. Yes. So, first of all, let me just say, there is some controversy that I wasn't aware of until I was trying to find something to even talk about. Okay. Um, there's some controversy as to whether or not the Israelites had access to the Pentateuch at this time. Really? As it had been lost by priests and scribes in the temple, you'll recall. Now this, okay, so this gets to another point that I've kind of harped on yes. without knowing this information right. throughout, and that's that, do these people actually know what they're being held to account for? Right. You know, and I, it doesn't feel like they are because... There's all these prophets saying different things. So if they're all out there just saying whatever the fuck they want, mm-hmm. who's who's the one saying the correct information? But exactly. this, this makes it even more difficult, apparently. Yeah. So yeah. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Apologists claim that this verse proves that Jeremiah must have possessed the whole Pentateuch at least. And that he also had access to many of the prophets, likely including Isaiah. So they're like, why would he... Um, say, listen to the prophecies of how you broke the covenant. Like, what covenant is he referring to? Therefore, that is proof that he had access to the covenant as it was recorded. Okay. So, but, you know, people like me and you would come along and be like, just because it says that he wrote it doesn't, doesn't, yeah, mean, doesn't mean he, he did. It. Right, yeah. 
Like, if it was written hundreds of years later and then, like, backdated, you know? Well, look, no, so, I mean, I, I'm going to, our reference point is today, right? Yeah. And I could totally see, like, let's say, let's say all scripture disappeared overnight, right? Sure. I could totally see some, you know, prophety type person in the evangelical Christian right uh-huh. being like, well, I know the 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 things that were said, and this is the covenant that we follow, and you should follow that covenant. And if you don't do that, then you know, blah blah blah. And, and then they'll just use all their words to mean whatever. Like you know what I mean? Like it's a controlling um, yes. factor that you can control people with without actually stating anything. Now that is pretty much the entire premise of the film, The Book of Eli. All, okay. All books disappear, and people that can remember pages of books. Um, or even whole books in their entirety right. are very much um, sought after right? because this is like in the future. You know? Got it. Got it. Like, Some apocalyptic thing happens yeah, or something. Yeah. And so like there are no books. So like no Shakespeare, sure. no Bible, right? like all the great things. Right. And so this one guy, for whatever reason, he's able to recall the entire Bible in entirety. Right. But then... You know, if you look at the, so if I'm looking at that instance of something like that happening in history, mm-hmm. I have to question, okay. But how well he, do you really. He says he remembers it all. Right. But is he, is he ad-libbing bits? Is he, you know what I mean? Like. Right. Which, does he, does he really know it all? And how much of, and, and then at that even you have to question which version of it did he know? Right. So, right. And, um, did he remember it, um, like. In entirety, or did he remember it in bits and pieces that were filled in? Right. What language? Um, now, I believe in the movie, he was, like, struck by God. Like, he was a, a prophet it. chosen to, if I recall correctly. I only saw it once, and it was years ago. Sure. But who cares? Because it gets to the point of the matter, which is that I don't know that these people had access to this information. Right. So. And anybody who's ever played a game of telephone knows that by the time you get to the end of the line, the fucking message is garbled. It's so garbled that it's very likely not even a single word. (laughs) Right. Will be what the original message was. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Okay. Yep. And then um, the verses. Um, Verse four continues, which I commanded your fathers in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, obey my voice and do according to all that I command you. I said this at the time, but I don't think it like struck because we were talking about the chapter itself instead of like various interesting notes. Right. This is the third place in the scriptures where Israel's agony in Egypt is described as an iron furnace. It was also mentioned in Deuteronomy and in 1 Kings. Okay. So many scholars think that a part of Israel's slave labor in Egypt was to work as slaves in literal iron furnaces. Hmm. Which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like, doesn't change the story any, but the fact that it's mentioned more than once leads you to believe, wow, okay, so that must have been the work that they were doing. Right, right. Which... I didn't even know that Egypt had iron furnaces. So I, I mean, interesting. So they, they, it, whatever. Yeah. Cool. I, cool, I didn't cool. either, but I mean, we are going. We've been in the Bronze Age, went into the Iron Age, so sure. obviously there was iron furnaces. That, that but, makes sense. Yeah. Okay, but this would have been during the time of Moses. I, so I can't remember. Yeah, I thought that was 
almost well, that might have been in the beginning. Like, I think a lot of the stuff in the Bible happened kind of on the cusp of Bronze Age, Iron Age, okay. the early stuff. Okay. So that might be what was going on, and obviously Egypt was a very. And I'm just talking out my ass here. Don't don't take don't any of this as like historical it. fact or anything. Right. But I mean, it, they were a more uh, advanced society. They were yes. more. So I mean, maybe they had it before the Israelites did, or I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just guessing. Who could know? So. Well, and the Israelites didn't have a home of their own at that point, so right. they wouldn't have had that kind of sure. technology. Yeah. All right. And so, it would it would also explain something like you know how God is early on in the Bible is scared or can be harmed by iron. Yes, that's true. Right. It would explain a lot of that type of talk and mentality. The fear yeah. of it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I mean, it's just, again, this is all this is all hy- hypotheses that I'm just no, going but that's, with in my head. So. That's interesting. Like I hadn't put that those two facts together, but what do we know about iron? Well, apparently they were doing that kind of work during their slavery in Egypt. Right. And... Also, their God was kind of afraid of iron early on. Right. So why would those two things not be connected? Right, right. It seems seems legit to me. Sure, sure. So moving on to verse 21 of that chapter, um, where was I? 11. Therefore, says the Lord, concerning the men of Anathoth who seek your life, saying, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, lest you die by our hand. So this was the bit where... We learned that the people of Anathoth, which was Jeremiah's home, yeah, um, was the people of his own village wanting to kill him. Yeah, and yeah. that was like, whoa, dude. And my question is not how to save him from it, but what the fuck did he do? Well, much of Jeremiah's work was done during the days of the reforming king Josiah. One thing Josiah did was to shut that shit down with regard to disobedient and unauthorized sacrifices on the high places. Okay. Which were outside the altar at the temple in Jerusalem. Okay. And recall, he was like either in the gate of Jerusalem or walking through Jerusalem or walking through his own hometown where those people would have gone to Jerusalem on a regular basis. So the local priests at Anathoth may have resented that their shrine was shut down. And they may have hated Jeremiah because he supported Josiah. Oh, okay. And meanwhile, he's walking around telling these priests, y'all are doing this shit wrong. Y'all are talking like you know what the fuck God is saying, and he ain't saying that. Well, it sounds to me like he's pushing the king's agenda, not necessarily God's agenda. But he keeps on even after Josiah. Right, but I'm just saying, like, you know, these things get started in a way, and then they continue, but I mean... But he was just some guy. Like, yes, he was from a wealthy family. And yes, he was in probably a wealthy town since it was near Jerusalem. Sure. But he was still just one guy. Like, he wouldn't necessarily have had access to the king, especially if he was, like, the lone gunman doing so. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's no reason to believe if he was the only one. That he was doing the king's bidding. But I can also see this whole scenario being mixed up in politics of the time. Sure. Because that's what it feels like. You know, Maybe it, he was on Josiah's court. Who right. knows? Right. And maybe he didn't know the king personally. But like, it does sound like he was at least... On board with what doing that. Josiah was saying. Right. Yeah. But the question still remains, though. Did they have access to the Pentateuch? And so why was right. Josiah making these reforms and why was 
Jeremiah on board with it. So I just find that whole thing very interesting. To well, say and, the and least. again, it could be based on politics. You know, not not necessarily religion, but politics. You right. Know? And you, you you know as well as I do that people who want to find a way to present a certain idea will find a way to present that certain idea. And people who want to believe a certain idea will twist their mind into pretzels to make an idea work. Yeah. That shouldn't. Yeah. So moving on to chapter 12. Um, if we read verse 5. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with the horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? And this is where God was like chastising um, Jeremiah about... Yes. He was kind of complaining like... They're they're messing, they're fucking with me and they're they're calling me names and they don't like me and well he was saying his question here was why do the evil profit right why do they okay. get like why aren't you striking them down and yeah and they're mocking me and why are you allowing this and this is bullshit sure and so God's answer was if Jeremiah found it difficult in his own hometown of Anathoth how's he gonna Fair in Jerusalem, where the people are going to be much more cruel because they won't be as townsmen, family, and friends. Yeah, they'll be strangers and people in high places. I, I find it a bit laughable that God is giving advice on how to deal with humans, right? Because <laughs> yeah, his answer is always just kill them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like he, he's no better at dealing with shit than yeah. anybody else. But something that I found interesting in in the notes that I picked up were that the trouble he was having in Anathoth were nothing compared to the troubles he would have later in Jerusalem, Babylon, or Egypt. And then I had to stop reading. Okay. Because apparently some shit is going to go down for my dude. Ah. Okay. Okay. And so, like, he better, you know, tighten his belt because it's going to get worse before it gets better, <laughs> if it gets better. So this is a little bit of, like, foreshadowing. Yeah. Okay. That, that was a God foreshadowing moment. Got it. Okay. That he's like, you know, you better get used to it, bro. Right. So, um, in the same chapter, um, we get Yahweh's lament and some stuff about Judah and her enemies. And in this part, God continues his previous reply to Jeremiah with a lament, first in a tone of exhausted grief and then of destructive rage. But he ends with a look toward the future in a hope for Israel to be returned to its inheritance. And that's where... In the chapter, we were like, my guy is going back and forth. God is going to kill him, but there will be a remnant. But he's going to wipe them all out. But there will still be some fucking grapes left. Right, right. Like, he's going to bring them back. And I'm like, how are you going to bring them back if you're going to kill them all? (laughs) And that was that whole, there was a whole section in that chapter that, again, waffled. So it's no wonder that Jeremiah is waffling when fucking Yahweh is waffling. Right, that's true. So verse 9 of that chapter says, My heritage is to me like a speckled vulture. The vultures all around are against her. And that's where, if you'll recall, we were like, the fuck is a speckled vulture? Yeah, I remember you stopped it and told us. Yeah. Right off the top of my head, remember recall. It just was rebellious Judah will now be seen as as conspicuous as a a speckled bird. Yeah, 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 sore thumb. Whose unusual plumage provokes the enmity of other predators. Judah would be set upon by the surrounding nations. Got it. Like there are many um, bird species where if one of their baby birds 
um, comes out with like spots or doesn't look right, that the other members of that nest will peck it to death. Right. Like chickens apparently do this hardcore, and it's where the term like hen pecked comes from. Ah. Yeah. If you. They don't want to draw attention to themselves. Yeah. So. so they're like, you are either a predator or will draw a predator, so we will peck you to death now. Thank you. Goodbye. Right. And so that goes along with what God is saying he's going to do later, you know, future chapters here. Yeah. Where he's like, y'all going to get dragged by dogs. Y'all going to get eaten by wild everything. Like, you're done. Yeah. And this is just kind of the beginning of that. Got it. So moving on to chapter 13, that's where we get into the underwear (laughs) or the sash or the girdle or whatever we want to call it. Right. So... Um, the hiding of the linen sash. I found some more information about that, which we were so intrigued, I felt was worthy of mention. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the sash was made of linen, and it may have been a belt, girdle, waistband, loincloth, or waistcloth, or as we mentioned, even a pair of undies. Right. Why linen? Linen was a mark of the priesthood, and because this garment was given as a representation of Israel, it had to be linen in order to properly symbolize that nation of priests unto God, which Israel was intended to be. Okay. So it had to be holy cloth, not just cloth. Got it. Okay, and linen So was... it's not likely that it was... I mean, like, the, the reading that we did in that chapter of underwear was fun, but it's probably more likely meaning some sort of a priestly garment... Is that no, what oh. it was definitely, to, I'll get into that in a second, but it, well, actually this paragraph covers that. Okay. This was not an outer girdle, oh. but a covering worn next to the skin. Okay. All right. But made of linen and something that a Got priest it. would wear. But so it, it was is, inner it is wear. also, it's underwear and also, and also yes. priestly garment. Yes. Okay. Priestly, priestly underwear. underwear. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, this very intimate and personal garment symbolized the intimate relationship between God and Israel. Jeremiah was not to wash the garment either before or after he had worn it. Mm. We kind of skipped right over that. Yeah. Like, I had to reread that section because I don't think we were even, like, there was so much else going on. Was that actually said in the... Yes. Okay. All right. Yes. Um, we just we were so full of laughter at underwear that yeah. we we missed this bit. Yeah. Um, various explanations have been offered regarding the command not to put the girdle in water before Jeremiah wore I it. I do recall that being said when okay. he said it like that. Yeah. See, I I don't recall it, so I'm glad you do. Now, most scholars think that he was to wear it as made in its rough state without washing it first. In order to show the rude condition of the Jews when God adopted them. So, okay. you know, unclean, un, unsoftened, you know, just right. rough linen. And then he put it, you know, right on his testicles to show, you know, how he was like making them. You're my special underwear. Right, right. Likewise, it is regarded by many as intended to teach the Jews their corrupt state by nature so that it was through favor or grace only that God adopted them. Okay. Like, even though you are rough and unclean and underwear, I'm still going to choose you anyway because I'm so fucking awesome. That sounds in line with God's yeah. thinking. Like, he likes to cut on yeah. the, Isra- the Israelites. The backhanded compliments. Yeah. 
Yeah. I love you so much, you worms. Aren't you <laughs> yeah. lucky that you have me to love you? Yeah. Now fear me. Right. Some are of the opinion that it was to remain unwashed in order to show that it was newly made and had not been worn by another nor polluted. Okay. So, you know, to show as part of the symbol, like, look, everybody, this is not grody because I'm about to, you know, put it away in a, a you know, crevice right. here. Right, right. So that's interesting. And still others think that the purpose was to show that nothing was to be done by the prophet to cause the girdle to rot. And being wet might have done that in order to prove that the rottenness proceeded only from the Jews themselves. Oh, okay. Like, look, I'm wearing it next to my balls and my asshole. I'm the one that made it dirty. Got it. See? So whatever the case may be, it was definitely a lot of symbolism. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, next was a bit about finding the decayed, useless sash. No doubt a vision here is being narrated, not a real transaction, as some think, who regard Jeremiah as having gone there, you know, to the Euphrates. Yeah. But the Euphrates was like a few days away. Right, right. So he would have had to go there, hide it in a cave, come back, wait a few days, go back to the Euphrates again. Dig up his nasty undies and bring them back. Right. And meanwhile, this whole time he's supposed to be like walking around town, you know, with a sandwich board saying, singing the end is nigh. Right. So yeah, it doesn't of, seem uh... likely that he would have taken time out to travel for this. It was more likely a narration of like a story, a parable. Yeah. Um, not a real transaction as something who regard Jeremiah as having actually gone there. But what can be imagined more absurd? One of the um, readers asks. He was, as we know, continually engaged in his office of a teacher among his own people. Had he undertaken so long a journey and that twice, it would have taken him some, oh, months, not days, months. I'm sorry. That makes it even more unlikely that he actually did it. Hence, contentious must he be who urges the words of the prophet and holds that he must have gone to the Euphrates and hidden there his girdle. We know that this form of speaking is common and often used by the prophets. They narrate visions as facts. Got it. And I'm like, you literally just discredited every single part of the (laughs) Bible by admitting that sometimes they say shit that ain't true and pretend it's a fact. Yeah. Like, Oh, you don't say. So what you're really saying is that we have to put into question everything in the Bible. Yes. And and question whether it's an actual fact or if it's just something they made up. Yes. Okay. As a parable. Right. Yes. That That is what I took from that. I'm glad <laughs> that you also. So then we continue in this chapter to verse 18. Say to the king and to the queen mother, humble yourselves. So the king and queen mother were probably Joaquin... And Nehushta, respectively, which I mentioned at the time. You were like, okay, that sounds great. Whatever. Right. Who cares? Yeah. Jeremiah claims that the king and others of the royal family will suffer the humiliation of being stripped of their royalty and taken to Babylon as common prisoners, along with citizens from the farthest areas of the kingdom. So he's telling them, humble yourselves now and take God. Or you're going to pay the price. Or you're going to be humbled later not of your own choosing right right the humbling's a common you get a choice in how that goes down got it is what he's saying sure 
which I was like, all right, that's cool. That makes sense. Yep. So moving on to chapter 14, the droughts. Okay. Yeah. Let's read about the droughts. Okay. So verse one says, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the droughts. So this portion of Jeremiah's prophecy clearly came during a season when Judah was afflicted by droughts, which were always a life or death issue in ancient societies where most made their living farming. Makes sense. Yep. Drought was a particularly special issue for ancient Israel and Judah because the Canaanite idol Baal was thought to be the god of weather and rain. Mm. Many ancient Israelites were drawn to Baal worship because they needed rain for their crops. And, you know, Yahweh ain't given it. So right, right. why not ask the guy no, that's specifically in charge of the weather? No wonder it was so hard to get rid of them. I mean, like, yeah. you're talking about a very arid region of the, of the world. Yes. And they are very reliant on farming practices. And they're used to to asking this certain God mm-hmm. for favors with regard to that. Yes. And how, when that's their entire livelihood, how do you get a whole group of people to say, yeah, we're just going to ditch this and go with this other guy. A general God instead of a specific God. Right. Like a, a God who's supposed to rule everything instead of this one minor God who look, his whole purpose is the fucking rain. Yeah. He's a specialist in rain. Like it's like, if you have a broken bone, you don't go to your family doctor. You go to the people who handle fucking bones, right? right. You see a specialist. Well, and the more the more we learn about this, the more that this whole thing, like Judaism, right? Yeah. Uh, early Judaism uh-huh. feels more like an elite club of people that were that were the ones that were specifically um, Jews, right? Yeah. Like the kings and the prophets and the the priestly types. They're the ones that are strictly Yahweh, yeah. right? Yeah. And but the people never made that same journey with them. They're like, right? Who are we? What are we worshiping today? Right. You know, like we, I don't, I don't really give a fuck. I just need some goddamn rain. Look, we're gonna get in trouble if our crops don't grow and we're not able to, you know, pay our tax to the king and the priest and all right. that shit. So I honestly don't really give a fuck who brings the rain. Can it just please happen? Yeah. Like, my ass is grass regardless. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, we've said it before. Like, it doesn't matter to these common people. They're just trying to get through their fucking day with enough food on the table. Yeah. Drought had long been threatened by God for disobedience and was part of the covenant curses, which I will get to that in just a second. Okay. The Lord's purpose in sending the drought was to bring the nation to repentance, which is ironic since the punishment just pushed the nation Further into the arms of the other gods. Right. So, okay, let's talk about the covenant. Yeah. Because I was going to get into that and then we got on to something else instead. Right. Okay. So the covenant that they are talking about was way back. Do you remember when there was two mountains and a valley in between? Yes. And they were they, yelling from the top of them. and Yeah. They were yelling. The blessings and the cursing. One was blessed mountain, one was cursed mountain. Right, yeah. And they had to yell the things back to each other, and the people in the middle had to say amen. Right. Their agreement. Their, yes. yes, I. this sounds perfect, I agree. Right. Sign me up. That's what is happening right now, according to God. He's like, y'all made these promises. I will be your God. I will bring you to this land of milk and honey. I will make your... 
your food plentiful. I will make you live in peace, et cetera, et cetera. And the only thing that I ask of you is that you, you know, fear me and make me your one God and turn away from the other idols and plus all the 10 rules and plus a bunch of other petty bullshit. Got it. That's all I ask of you is a yeah. thousand minor little Sabbath day. Don't pick up the wrong sticks, that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you disregard these, you just signed up for all those curses that you shouted to each other from Curse Mountain. You say you say you just signed up, but we're talking about generations ago. Right. What he's saying, you the is Israelites. Right. That's I just I have I personally have a problem in talking about multi generational right. groups of people yeah. as having the same um you you didn't a contract that my great 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 grandfather signed up for yeah. doesn't fucking apply to me. No, it doesn't. Right? Like so I have trouble with this this thought that the Israelites, no matter how many generations we go forward, are all bound to this same contract, bound to the same idea. Right. And especially with maybe not even knowing what the goddamn thing was. Right. You know, right. It, it just seems ridiculous. Now, I'm not saying that I agree, obviously, with God. I'm not saying that that this is what happened. I'm saying that this is what's being presented from a legal standpoint. God is saying, you... Fill in the blank. Yeah. Israelites made this deal with me. I held up my end of the bargain. I've held back punishing you for ages. And y'all are beyond repair to where when you pray now, I'm not even going to listen to you anymore. Right. You, you done broke the last one. You know, and I've looked away for the last day. Punishment has come due. And he's presenting it, the Bible is presenting it as God presenting it as a legal case and where God is in the moral correctness. And that's all well and good. And But I've, but as we've said before, if he's going to hold these people to account for these things, uh -huh. these rules need to be reiterated on a generational basis. As they used to be when they used to like have their little celebrations and they carved them in stone, remember? Right. And they would go out and... And repeat them at each other. Right. And maybe some of these things still happen. I don't know. But not but often more enough. but more than but more than just as a as a group of people celebrating these things or, or telling these stories, mm -hmm. God Needs God himself should show up and reiterate these things. Right. And not just to some random prophet when there's other prophets saying different shit. Exactly. But it needs to be clear. Yeah. Like at least back in the times of Moses. The, at least the Bible made it seem like Moses was very clearly the prophet, right? The person, right? Right. Was there still some contention? Yes, there was still some contention. There was the, um, I forget who the the rebellion of uh, I can't remember what the name was now. Oh um, shit! Yeah, but I don't you know what I'm talking about, name. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I mean, there was some, and 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 even Aaron, you know, he he was and you know, melting gold down and creating idols when he was Not up on the Marian. mountain. What was his sister's name? I can't remember now. Started with an M, right? That sounds probably correct, yeah. I said Marion, but that can't be right. I, I don't recall. Well, she didn't speak up much after that, so No, she didn't. <laughs> she didn't. Yeah. But I mean, so there was contention, but it was but it was still very spelled out that He's the man. Moses is the man. Right. Right. So there the even but even in, in Isaiah and Jeremiah, 
there is a they allude a lot to other people talking about mm -hmm. different ideas. And again, there's even this question now we find out of whether or not they the people even had access, whether the prophets even had access, whether the king even had access right. to the original fucking rule book, the law, the Torah, the Pentateuch. Yeah, so then just to bring it back, the generational the the holding account for generations of this yeah. doesn't make sense to me if you don't have the correct information. Right. And I don't agree with it. Yeah. No, so. I totally, I, I stand with you on this. Right. So in um, verse 11, God says, then the Lord said to me, do not pray for this people for their good. Okay. So he's telling Jeremiah. Right. Don't even pray. I'm not listening. Yeah. So the people of Judah were at this point so hardened that they were past prayer. Their course was set. I see. And so there's no hope for them. Yeah. It is significant that God had to tell Jeremiah not to pray because the assumption would be that he would pray and that God had to tell him not to. Sure. And then he did anyway, of course. Right, right. Which, you know, yay. Yeah. But um, what I find interesting is that you can actually be past prayer because. Yeah, because that means that there is a point that you, you, can, you, that you apparently can reach yeah. that means you can no longer be redeemed. Right. right. At least in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. Pre-Jesus. Yes. Yeah. You could reach a because point. Because the way that the Christians talk about it today, as long as you ask for forgiveness, you're good to go. You yeah. could be the f worst raping killer motherfucker on the planet, and, and you, you could ask for forgiveness and you're good. Yeah. At least according to God's law, not necessarily sure. man's yeah. law. But yeah. yeah, I find that interesting. And I'm kind of curious to see how that plays out in the New Testament if there's a point of no return. I've actually thought about this on a personal level as far as uh, can you imagine? Okay. I just, just entertain this thought with me for just a second. If we decided to uh, approach um, some large religious group and say, Hey, we were thinking about converting to Christianity. Do you think that they would, they would probably shit themselves with glee right. that we would be willing to renounce our atheism and then join them because we were, we're so public about yeah. our atheist views. Right. Yeah. And they'd be like, Oh my God, we're, we got some, we got some real atheists and they're going to, they're going to come over and, and join, join us. We got them. We got them. We won. And then they, then we, then we could become like, you know, right wing MAGA evangelical stars, you know, if we, we could be rich and famous. If we wanted to sell our souls if to the devil. If we want to sell our souls, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I believe in souls, but I mean. Or the devil. Yeah, or the devil. Right. But uh, yeah, it, it's just something that had crossed my mind. Like, you know, there there is no, um, there is no, they, they don't care. They, right. they don't They don't have any problem just allowing anybody in as long as you're going to pitch their viewpoints. They don't care who you are. Right. And especially if you didn't, if you used to be exactly opposite. Yeah. They're and like, they could pitch oh, that story. shit, that's man. That's gold this is, to this is This is awesome. I could never do that. Oh, I Honestly. could never. I, yeah. No, I, I could mean, not either. I Because I, I, be, the whole reason we do this podcast is because it's about a subject that we enjoy learning about and talking yeah. about. And we're able to sit here and riff off each other, you know. And apply critical thinking at the same time. Right, right. I couldn't do that. As, I mean, like, I have no, I am not invested in the belief of God or any of these writings in any way whatsoever. I, I don't, there's no truth in it to me. You know, like, there is some. You could pay me millions and my life could be set and there would not be enough therapy in the world to help me sleep at night because 
I could not take it seriously. Right. There, there is a very small um, amount of historical beauty and and poetry in these pages that I can that I could get behind a little a little bit for for certain aspects of it. Sure. Right. Sure. But that's the most. That is the absolute most I could say. But about to like these go books. out and sell this religion as authority and stuff. Yeah. No. Did no. You no. Do that? Never. Me neither. No. I. I. I swear right now we will never <laughs> not be atheists. Like yeah. I, I, I keep coming across this in social media and people that there are so many people. And I mean, I mean, I've come across hundreds, maybe even a thousand, but we've, I've come across so many people that have ex atheists in their fucking profile page. I call bullshit. I call bullshit. You, you maybe drifted away from your religious upbringings right. and you, maybe you went out and drank. Maybe you went out and did this, that, or the other. But if you became an, if you were an atheist, mm-hmm. I call bullshit that you went back. Right. There, I, I, I know that there are some instances. Some people do come back, but there's usually a precipitating event because religion generally feeds on the people that are at their lowest points, right? Right. So somebody dies or um, you've lost your job or you, you, you succumb to, um, alcoholism or i don't know any number of things that that create a very low point in your life right yeah and then religion pops in helps you and talks you back into religion sure i can see it happening sure i can believe that it happens but the amount of people that i see with that (laughs) i'm just like no this is just a this isn't what it is. You were never an atheist. You were just a non-practicing religious person. Right, right. You see the same thing popping up with uh, people who claim to be ex-gay or ex-l. You know, oh ex-l- wow, how does that work? No, it, it's a it's a thing. I mean, it's the same people that are ex-atheists. You know. Oh, oh it, then I really call bullshit. <laughs> you don't. You don't just over the years. Well. I used to be attracted to these kind of people, but now I'm just not attracted to these kind of... That's not how that works. Right. You don't just stop your... Okay, whatever. That's getting into a different yeah, yeah, discussion. Yeah. No, but I mean, just, it's just, you know, the hypocrisy, right? Yeah. yeah. And the lies. Yes. The lies. Right. Okay, so moving on to verse 13. Then I said, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them... You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. So Jeremiah was not the only one who claimed to bring such a word. Others also claimed to be prophets, which we discussed earlier. The message of the other prophets was that there would be deliverance from sword and famine. So the exact opposite. God would rescue. This was a hopeful, positive message that contrasted with what God gave to Jeremiah. Jeremiah probably hoped to explain or excuse the lack of repentance among the people and leaders of Judah. They didn't truly repent because other prophets told them everything would be fine. The prophet urged excuses for the people and persistently cried mercy, cried for mercy upon them. So he's like, God, they're hearing other people. Don't be mad at them. It's not their fault. I, I got to be honest. If I was a person living back then and there's this impending doom heading towards us, right? Uh-huh. I'm I'm gonna want to hear the good news, not the bad news. You know, See, like I, I'm gonna be like uh, these guys seem to think that we can be saved. This guy says we're all gonna die. I'm I'm gonna go with the guy that thinks we can be saved. Now 
I'm going to call, I'm going to push back. I'm not going to call bullshit, but I'm going to push back on that a little bit because we're actually living through that right now with the climate crisis. You are not turning to the good news of, oh, don't worry, the climate will be fine. You are more inclined to say, oh my God, the planet is doomed. We are fucked. Yeah. Because that's the truth. So I don't think that you would Okay, turn... you're right. I, I mean, I have a skeptical mind. I, I like to think critically about things that are happening. And so, yes, you're probably right. I would not accept the good news just on the face value. But I can understand. I can understand why people would want to flock to the good news versus the bad news. But what's interesting is that um, that's not what sells newspapers. <laughs> So even back then, they had to have a sense that, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. But yet still, people were flocking. They were trying to get people to flock to the good news. And it's like, but you, you, like the people were flocking to the good news, right? Like the people were like, no, we'll be fine. We're going to live through this. It'll be great. God forgives. Well, and it's all in how the message is delivered too, though. I mean, maybe Jeremiah wasn't the best deliverer of, the message, right? Right. Maybe he was not loquacious. Is that the right word? That's, that's, yeah. Talkative. Yeah. Um, Elegu- just, it didn't sound right coming loquacious. out of my head. So, um, but maybe he wasn't the right person for the job. You know, maybe he well, was God saying it wrong. Know who's the best person for the job? You would think. You would think. Sure. But you know, if you if you got if you got a, a better way of phrasing good news, then this person has a phrasing the bad news. Like if you're gonna pitch the the fire and brimstone, you gotta pitch it hard. Yeah. You gotta go all in. You gotta believe it. And even in this book so far, Jeremiah has kind of, you know, floundered back and forth between, you know, begging for forgiveness from God for the people to telling them. I mean, like he does. I don't feel. I don't feel like he fully believes his own message that he's giving. Right. That's how I feel about no, Jeremiah. You're you're probably onto something there. Right. So moving on. God's response is, well, too bad. The people should have known that the Lord punishes sin and they should not have believed the false prophets. The judgment of the nation is spoken of here because the people were willing to be deceived. Mm. They chose to be tricked. They preferred to believe. And they were supposed to know that they were being deceived. How? Right. That's That's, that's my question to God. Yeah. How were they supposed to know they were being deceived? Well, they just should have known. Mm. They should have all read the Pentateuch. They should have all read the Torah. Yeah. Which apparently there were copies floating around everywhere. Right, right. But now we know actually there probably weren't at all. So. Right, yeah. Question mark. <laughs> um, furthermore, God did not consider those who received the words of the false prophets as without guilt. They were responsible for rejecting the words of the true prophets, Jeremiah's and others like him, they were responsible for receiving the smooth but false words of the false prophets. Okay. So they, they get what they get, and they right. don't get upset. Whatever. I'm like, I, I, fuck I off. think God's a dick. God is a dick. Yeah. So, chapter 15. Um, this chapter includes the second of the passages known as the Confessions of Jeremiah. Okay. So, the second time that he's like, you know, oh, God, please. Yeah. Kind of thing. Right. So, um... Moving to the first verse says, uh, Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable toward this people. Right. So Moses and Samuel are both well known for their successful intercession on behalf of Israel. 
But here the Lord rejects Jeremiah's intercession. And the reason that I'm re-upping this is because there was a further statement that I found super interesting. The putting of this as a case in and of itself shows that they do not, in fact, stand before him and that saints in heaven do not pray for saints on earth. How do you, what, what do you mean exactly? So um, there are some people today, Catholics a lot, believe okay. in saints, right? Sure. And, so you pray to certain saints, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so the saints are, you know, up there floating around, and they pray for the saints on earth, right? And they can intercede on okay. your behalf, sure. right? Sure. But this is God is saying, even if they stood before me, oh, oh, so they don't then. Got it. Oh, so the saints don't stand before you. I see. Because if any saints were going to stand before you, surely Moses would be among them, right? Right. And he's not. Oh, shit, Catholics got it wrong. <laughs> so that, I found that interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, not only don't they stand before him, but clearly they are not able to intercede on got it. the behalf of these people. It, I, I see your point, and I see the, the, the message there. But I, I just, just to defend the possibility of it being another way, the fact that there are so many different translations of the Bible and the way things are worded mean dramatically different things. It could I could be allow phrasing. I could allow for you know this phrasing could mean something else. You know what I mean? All right, I'm, I'm just, just saying. I, I'm just throwing that out there as a you know. I'm just saying that dude is like, can you please? Like you've done this before. Jeremiah is like, God, please, and right. God is like, hell no. Even if those two guys stood before me, I wouldn't. Keep in mind, I don't like being thrown in the position of defending Catholicism at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, shit. So, okay, moving on to um, verse four. I will hand them over to trouble to all kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for what he did in Jerusalem. So he's like, remember that time Manasseh? Oh, fuck that guy. So fuck you guys today. Right. So it might appear from this that the invasion and captivity of Judah were the consequences of Manasseh's wicked reign. Like that God's like holding a grudge. Like remember that time? Yeah. Okay. But it was not that reign alone, argues this apologist, that resulted in such disasters. It was because the people persevered in that wickedness. Like they kept on about it. They resented and disapproved of Josiah's reforms. As soon as Joachim came to the throne, they heartily supported that king's campaign to restore all of the idols of Manasseh's reign. And then when Jeremiah's prophecies appeared to be a hindrance to this resurgence of paganism, they plotted to kill Jeremiah. Got it. So so it was very political. Yeah. This whole thing was very political. Very, yeah. I found that statement interesting. Yeah. So it wasn't just because of Manasseh, though. It was because of everything that came after. Right. At least according. I, I, again, I mean, the fact that there are kings squabbling over which, you know, way they're going to do things with regard to religion. Right. Almost, in my mind, solidifies the idea that there was no way a common person could possibly. Right. Possibly. Not, not even remotely. Right. know what the correct answers would have been right and that and and that's assuming that there was a correct answer which in my mind there's not right it's just 
life. This is the way things were, right? Yeah. But yeah, the king, if, if God were real, the king's would be one of the most important people that would know about these things as though they were real. But even the kings yeah. don't fully believe the message. At all. Right. Or if they do believe it, they're surely not scared of it. Well, it, it's, it depends on which king we're talking about, right? But there are kings that, that are fine with going back to the Asherah poles and the Baal worshiping and, and all that. And there's others that are probably like, I don't give two shits what y'all do. Right, right. I'm just here to... You know, sit on the throne and get the gold. Yeah. I can imagine that was at least a few of them. Well, and who was uh, even King David, right? He was at the, remember the last chapter of the the book where we were reading about David? And he had suddenly married like thousands of women from different cultures and different religions. And like he was allowing, you know, worship at, like it was crazy. And then on his deathbed, he had that little girl in his bed. Right, to yeah. To warm his body. But it wasn't sexual, they were quick to right, say. Right, right, And yeah. I'm like, yeah, fuck, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then we move on to Jeremiah's personal woe. Okay? okay. And that's where he's like, dude, this sucks so hard. Again, still some more. I hate this. Yeah. And this confession is an act of protest in which... Um, Jeremiah embodies the questions of the exiles while he complains about his people. His hope is that if he repents, he will be delivered from the hands of the wicked. Mm. So remember, he was praying like, you know, dear God, you are so fucking great and just and righteous. Yeah. But like these folks are trying to kill me. So can you kill them? But also, could you not kill any of us? But also, could you save me? Right. And so he was... Like, hoping that he would be, you know, saved, at least from his neighbors. Right, right. And so that is the end of the Q&A. Okay, sounds good. Well, hopefully you all enjoyed our Q&A session for this week. Um, And we will be back tomorrow, probably later in the day, Mm -hmm. um, with our... Sacrilegious Book Club. That's right. And I'll be back. I'll I'll get the weekly wrap-out together um after that and then we'll be back on monday with jeremiah chapter 16 all right we'll see you then bye hey wife i guess that's the end but husband that's just sad it doesn't have to be we are on lots of social media platforms like twitter our handle there is sacrilegious underscore d for d's nuts oh my god Stop doing that. Anyway, we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. There's a link to all of our social media sites at our website. Ooh, we have a website? Yeah, it's sacrilegiousdiscourse.com, where you can also find a link to our merch shop. We have a merch shop? Yep. We have podcast-themed clothing, mugs, notebooks, and more, as well as an atheist and science-themed products. Wow, our fans should really go check that out right now. Definitely. They can get in touch with us by sending an email to sacrilegiousdiscourse at gmail.com. But before they do that, we could really use some help. Oh, yeah? With what? Well, it's not free running the podcast, and we need some financial support in order to get better equipment, which will free up time so we can concentrate on our podcast and our fans. Okay, so what should they do? Head over to patreon.com forward slash sacrilegious discourse and sign up as a contributor on our podcast. Supporters there receive additional bi-weekly episodes that we record just for our Patreon members for as little as $2 a month. 
Also, we'd really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe on whatever platform you're using. And Apple Podcast Reviews help us out tremendously. Like and subscribe. Leave an Apple review. Join us on Twitter. Support us on Patreon. That's a lot of instructions. Don't forget to say thanks. Thanks. Okay, bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.